Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. Here I continued my research undisturbed by the myriad distractions of modern civilization and far from the groves of Akadim. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian runes, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. This is In the Cut, and hello, I'm Jesse. I am here with Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Jesse. Hi, we're having a weird one. Hi, audience. Hi, audience. <laughs> you probably noticed it's been a while since our last episode because we... Uh, Have trouble. What's, what's the nice way of saying you're unable to get your shit together? We, we, we've had... We're just bad people, sorry. <laughs> We are back. We are talking about two movies again. This time, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. It's there. It's hard to take one of those as a solitary cultural artifact without getting into the other. You can't, yeah. I mean, we would have to do, yeah. We would have to do two episodes about two of them, but we thought, why the fuck not just do one, where we kind of um, watch them both and talk about them. And just leave out Army of Darkness because we're lazy. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Army of Darkness a little bit, too, I think. You know, it's 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 inseparable from the other two mm-hmm. in some ways, but it's also not quite cut from the same cloth. It seems it's, like it, it, it certainly could be a separate piece. Um. Evil Dead came out in 1980 or 1981, around the time I was born. So this is a movie I came to a little bit later. Obviously, a movie that uh, upset many, many, many people the world over. I was kind of unaware that it was a particularly controversial. It uh, had trouble finding release. It got rated NC-17, and in Europe, it they have a cute name for movies that are just all about gore and nothing good. <laughs> and I forget the cute um, name for it right now. Oh boy, I I should be able to pull that. Um, the something nasties. Is yeah. It the, um, yeah. Anyway. And Evil Dead Two, which is very close to the heart of a lot of us people who kind of came of age with horror movies around the time that that movie was turning our whole shit on its head. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, watching that movie for the first time at, you know, 12 or 13 is one of the, you know, probably one of the greatest movie-watching experiences of my life. (laughs) Uh, That memory sticks with me, yeah. And one that you then, because you're, Aaron, a couple years older than me, you passed that on to me. I didn't grow up really being a horror movie buff, and in fact, I was pretty easily upset by movies across the board, so horror movies were never going to be an easy sell for me. So you you must have seen that for the first time when you were slightly older and... I was older than 13, for sure, but I, I think I had the... F- um, <laughs> the emotional maturity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably fair to say, too. But uh, I don't know. Like, y- you know, you watch enough movies and you kind of get hardened to movies mm-hmm. that are just out to upset you. So I was probably on par with a normal uh, media-saturated 13-year-old or even younger when I was 16, maybe 17 when we watched this. You know... Like we're saying, it flipped it flipped my whole idea, you know, all my ideas about this stuff on the, on its head, as it is uh, is so good at doing. Where do we start with? That? Well, let's start with um, Evil Dead One. Did you have? Uh, I mean, it was had that was that something you went back and watched after you had seen Evil Dead Two in any timely manner, or just something you? eventually saw did you you did eventually see evil dead one right or was I, th- this your- I think no I, I think it was the other way around i think that um you me and casey watched evil dead one and evil dead two okay maybe in the same night or maybe one night after the other i think i was introduced to them uh, all right well here's a question then um, sure. on on rewatch any how much of your memory is from evil dead one did, did that stick at all or is all the real sticky stuff from uh 
from the second one. I well, maybe I should back up because it's 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 possible I watched two first and then mm-hmm. one, but I, they were within within pretty it's, close proximity yeah. to each other. I had them pretty well separated. I mean, it's hard to separate the two movies. I mean, for for anyone who hasn't, I I, I kind of skipped over my normal caveat that I try to start these episodes with but because we talk about the whole movies spoilers and all uh, with the assumption that you the listener have recently watched or rewatched the movies we kind of just barge into it so check watch Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 especially if you haven't seen them or haven't seen them recently uh, they uh, I highly recommend <laughs> watching or rewatching these ones they're obviously close to our hearts um, with that being said I, I think that it's it's hard to say because a lot of there's even a lot of like the same very shots and the mm-hmm. same very sequences and the same very kind of character moments in both of them because the second is as much a remake as it is a sequel which I think there's right. a lot to talk about there but so I mean I remembered commonalities in them but I think the most distinct moments I was a hundred percent knew which one was from mm-hmm. which moments were from which they would they I think they're properly distinct in my mind from okay that's that's interesting i mean they certainly weren't for me and i've i talked to a couple of people and i, f- I feel like almost everyone basically remembers evil dead 2 but with the tree rape in it huh. as being the evil dead experience right um, <laughs> and there's a lot of i feel like watching evil dead 2 like in there that part with the tree well, when does Evil, that happen? Evil Dead Two does have someone being dragged off by the tree mm-hmm. at the same There's kind of beat a, yeah. in the movie, right? It's but just, just it's not, not that a one sexualized, yeah. terrible shot. <laughs> right, right. That's an interesting thing too. I mean, that, that, that right. That's that's one moment that kind of just sticks out like a sore thumb in the entire viewing experience, mm-hmm. and it's one that almost everybody who has watched Evil Dead One remembers and calls out. And in fact, brings mm-hmm. up when you bring up that movie at all, like that moment kind of pops out for them. And one that Raimi has said he regrets putting in the movie, mm-hmm. and I agree. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a. I don't know. A significant difference in tone between the two movies, and that that is one thing that pops up. But I think I don't know. I mean, I mean, the second movie is much more about you know it's fun, and there's they don't really put in stuff that you know. I mean, certainly actually terrible terror. I don't know things that are. Yeah. Huh. Um, they're they're both really grueling. Uh huh. And I think that that's intentional, and that's kind of part of what you're part of the mm-hmm. ride, part of what you're in for, yeah. is that but you're gonna right. find unpleasant and upsetting, and kind of like, oh my god, like uh-huh. I can't believe I just saw that moments in there. But you do cross a line in the in with the the molesting tree mm-hmm. in the first one that puts casts a whole different thing on it, and. I don't know. I mean, the story, as as I read it, was Robert Tappert, the producer, had pushed for that to be mm-hmm. what that scene was. And that wasn't even how it was written in the script originally, but it, it was part of a climate of on the set of like, well, if we're going to push every boundary, let's just push every boundary <laughs> kind of thing. So when he threw that out, they kind of rolled with it and they went for it. I mean, originally, as I'm sure you can expect, it was meant to be the the scene where she runs into the woods she's you know not allowed to make it through the woods because the woods are in invo- mm-hmm. you know in, inhabited by this evil spirit and the tree you know attacks and rips her clothes or whatever like claws at her and rips her skin and yada 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 and i'm sure like some clothes ripping was going to be part of that no matter what but there yeah. you know just, there's just some light implications right right and 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 it could be like you know awful and titillating just the way mm-hmm. that you know that kind of like horror cliche girl being attacked and having her clothes ripped thing could be and not that itself is plenty problematic right <laughs> don't get me wrong but you know there's there's really really upsetting couple of seconds in there that um would would have been better left on the cutting room floor and uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that there's not that much more to be said about that, <laughs> <laughs> except that you know the filmmaker wishes it wasn't in the movie. I wish it wasn't in the movie. It's a thing. It's kind of a touchstone of the movie just because it's so like jarring and unpleasant. And the, when they revisited the scene in the sequel slash remake, they didn't do it that way. So mm-hmm. all the better. <laughs> hey, Scotty, what's this place like anyway? Well, the guy that's renting it says it's an old place. 
little run down, but it's right up in the mountains. And the best part is we get it so cheap. Yeah, why are we getting it so cheap? Well, I don't know. Might be in real bad shape. You mean nobody's seen this place yet? Well, not yet. Well, it might not be that bad. No. Actually, it might be kind of nice. Yeah. It's probably a real pit. Um, one thing I'm kind of curious about was, was there a significant uh, budget difference between the movies? There for sure was. And on screen, there are times where you're like, yes, this is right. This is this is the budget difference I'm looking at right now. And there's other times where it's like, it doesn't seem like a movie that costs five to ten times as much as the forerunner. But uh, oh, I mean, taken as a whole, I think. the budget for two enables so much chaos that you just wouldn't there would have been no way to do yeah I think um, yeah probably most of that budget went to shooting a scene more than once I think there's certainly a lot of scenes in one where it's like okay they got the best shot they could (laughs) yeah in that you know 10 minutes they had to shoot that before the weather changed or whatever Um, (laughs) there's a lot of um, you know Makeup gaffes. There's a lot of shit that you know. There's shots where it's like, or like three consecutive shots in the same sequence, where it's like this one's kind of in focus, this one's <laughs> totally out of focus, and this one's pretty in focus type of thing. And yeah, it's there's a real, real uh, mm. sense of doing the best you can with you know what you um, and and have. the makeup all around. It's like it's, the makeup in one was not ever good. <laughs> no, um, but it was big you know i think that one of the philosophies of the evil dead is if you can't do it good do it big (laughs) and then bigness just becomes a different type of goodness Mm -hmm. but yeah i think in uh in the second one you know there are some you know great practical effects and some yeah things where you can look at and say i think that was money but I, i think more than that it was just you know shooting time i think that was a pretty amazingly shot and edited movie for the, the size of movie it was and uh, two you mean or? Uh-huh. yeah um i mean even i mean one was i think a pretty amazing feat to create that movie for what they had to work with right right i i mean the the stories from on set on one are grueling and uh just mm-hmm. awful as i'm sure you can imagine campbell and Raimi were like film school chums so right. they kind of like just knew what they were in for when they started but i think everybody else involved with that movie was just hating life for a lot of it i mean there's was stories there anyone else who was it came back for the second movie yes was... right <laughs> so anybody else who... it's like let's do that again <laughs> who agreed to be in the same state as sam raimi after being the first one and you know it not to discredit the people in the first movie because I mean they are they're hammy and overacting and and goofy and whatever and mm-hmm. off the mark and kind of you know wrong in a lot of ways but they I mean there's almost nobody there's pretty much nobody in either movie that's not giving a thousand percent and I really I mean that's that's what carries the movies partly um, but yeah I mean there's stories about those you, you, there's so many shots where a, a, an actress has like the milky white eye uh contacts in mm-hmm. and those were like thick and unpleasant <laughs> and like cringe inducing and when you know how unpleasant they were to wear and you're watch and then you rewatch mm-hmm. the movie with that in mind you can see like how they're kind of <laughs> like cheeks are tensing up and they're blinking a little bit too much and you can tell they just want to claw at their own eyes because these are just not like professional level effects and props and mm-hmm. they just are jamming these like thick unhappy things into their eyeballs and just being tormented and yeah there's a lot of little stories you know that that don't pop to mind unfortunately but um just moments where like someone broke an arm or whatever (laughs) you know like because they're they safety is at a minimum everything is being done really quickly and really efficiently
I mean, the, the most iconic thing about the series is Badass Ash. Right. And, and kind of his art. I mean, probably nowadays more just his catchphrases and uh, chance arm. But, uh, but, you know, that really kind of great arc of, you know, terror to insanity to just badass him that was... Right. Um, kind of not at all. I mean, there was maybe a touch of it in the first movie, but uh, there was no great turnaround moment. There was no... You know, I mean, and, and you know, Evil Dead Two is almost a you know superhero movie. It's almost an origin superhero origin story. It's uh, it can definitely see you know how Sam Raimi goes on to direct mainstream Spider Man, Spider Man Two, yeah. You know, that's it was I think a pretty amazingly just satisfying thing for horror fans to. I, I don't know if that had. I mean, I'm sure it had been done. There's you know that same moment in a lot of you know classic horror films i mean where there there is that kind of turnaround moment fuck you the monster we just killed you and but just to take that and make it like half of a movie just like taking that you know two minutes of a movie and just being like this is the most satisfying part of the film right this is the catharsis let's just see if we just make the catharsis that catharsis like half of the film um and that was brilliant and it's uh really i think added something and i I i'd be curious if you can think of other examples of that you know i mean certainly post that i'm sure it's been done but i can't really come up with a good one right yeah i mean well it's part of the normal arc of a movie is that the events of the movie happen to the main character Mm -hmm. for two-thirds of the movie and then the pivot of the movie is the character finding and taking like having their own agency and Mm -hmm. taking charge and turning things around right after they come out of the darkest moment and so that does fit pretty well into a horror movie where what you, what your protagonist is railing against is like a literal physical thing mm-hmm. that they're literally physically fighting against and so you can have that tide turning moment be very literal and explicit on screen and that can be really satisfying like you said lots and lots of movies did it after evil dead and probably movie you know every horror movie has a moment where the, like right. the last victim turns the tables and gets the upper hand uh-huh. and whatever but, but it's always or, or I don't know. I, I'm thinking of it as always just kind of being being a moment because I mean, kind of where you know a good horror movie kind of gets its thing is you know being kind of relentless and uh, once you set up your character that way, I mean, what what do you do to just like keep keep that pressure on? Right. And, uh, I, I mean, I think there's a, a a lot of really great stuff in Evil Dead Two about um, just around the so much like kind of second person perspective of ash so many we're you know shooting through the eyes of we don't even quite know i mean that's the thing that we it's just the force of the evil dead (laughs) right in both movies it quickly turns into like the movie against ash Mm -hmm. just everything is just being thrown at him from every direction and bouncing off of him and he's just like kind of in a whirlwind slapstick moment where he's just like always spinning on his heels and running and bumping into something and something pops out at him and I mean just the amount of just viscera poured on that man's face <laughs> over the course of these two movies is just like hundreds of gallons just splattering and that's the joke and the movie is in on the joke and it's so when it does it it's just like oh and here's you know <laughs> One last little spurt on your face of there, the g- gore from the neck hole or whatever. There was a fantastic little bit of comic timing in the first movie, and he just goes down to the cellar, and there's a pipe dripping blood. And this is in the the you know both have the like just big blood scene. Yeah. Um, and this is the intro to the big blood scene in the first one. Is uh, and I don't know, just so well timed. Just him looking at this pipe dripping blood, <laughs> and just at the perfect time, it just pops off and just sprays blood in his face and it's hilarious like a fire hose yeah <laughs> yeah right and when he's when he's shoot in the second movie when he's shooting through the wall trying to get the hand and then it he just strikes a main um was you know i think a much more effective shot but not i mean i don't know if there was just something fantastic about that little piece of right uh, Slapstick, right, and it's the and it's the. I mean, it's him against the movie, but it's him in the movie. It's him against like this, like kind, this like horrible, awful, grueling, you know, uh, death obsessed mm-hmm. spiritual presence. 
but also kind of a jokester a little bit. <laughs> like in both movies, it's kind of trying to drive him crazy. Right. It, like it's not. He's not against a force that only wants him dead and done with. It's always like the movie's trying to like put him through. Uh, it was like. Um, him to join us. Yes, right, uh, right. It's trying to push him to the brink. Or that's um, just a bunch of fun stuff to put in a movie. Right, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's right. That's how it plays in the movie because it's the movie is just about Ash the like the gore punching bag, basically. But you, I love, I love that. I love that you point out that it's this kind of hero origin story for Ash because it makes me think of something that I'd never really realized about these movies and something that upon reflection is one of my very very favorite things about them is that the hero is the hero mm -hmm. in almost every horror movie the villain is the hero mm -hmm. do you know what i mean I do, yeah absolutely like who is dressing up as anyone for halloween from the hellraiser series <laughs> except for pinhead right mm -hmm. or halloween or yeah. you know you friday the 13th great character from friday the 13th i was about to say remember that <laughs> right. fucking fantastic one who killed jason <laughs> from any of those movies i mean i'm sure it's been done since but i i really can't pull like the great horror movie hero uh, well i mean if aliens is a horror yeah. movie or alien then you have ripley I'm, yeah and you know um Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween was also... It's something that Roger Ebert, I think, cleverly pointed out when he was talking about why... I mean, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert were not big horror buffs. Right. <laughs> but Ebert was a huge, outspoken defender of the first Halloween movie. And one of the things he said that made it, that made it rise above was that it didn't just, like... The murderer wasn't the tour guide for the movie. You were in there with the victims, and the murderer was a presence that you were, you know... Yeah. So, so it's so unique in The Evil Dead that Ash is the identifiable one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you, no one's going to dress up as one of the and, monsters from Evil Dead. And, it's, and the, you know, by the end, Halloween. his, yeah, just his, the costume, the props, it's all fucking there as a right. well, well thought out, you know? I mean, I, I mean, Sam Raimi must be a comic book guy. Yeah. Or someone involved with that movie <laughs> must be a big... But yeah, I mean, he's so, uh, yeah, just such a identifiable... And just how fun to root for the good guy for once, right. I guess. I mean, that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that, I mean, he's, he's not he's not perfect. <laughs> he's not, like, <laughs> above reproach as a hero, but he is at least the hero, right? And, it's, and he's not there to kill innocent people he's there to fucking stand up for himself and and, ba and fight back the tides of evil and i really really love it makes it more fun to root for him i think oh yeah um and just i and just the turnaround from you know like like you said just him being just a punching bag in this huge slightly funny over the top right uh, cartoonish but but still kind of terrifying way uh, right it's yeah, I mean his his reaction, <laughs> his reactions to the world, to the situations he's put in are so he's not like a impenetrably stoic, amazing <laughs> like Iron Man, but he's also not like just completely uh, destroyed by them. He's just like, God damn it, God fucking damn it, this is not what I want to be happening right now at every given moment. And the the, the great thing that the the pacing of the movie does is just never quite lets him catch his breath. And this mm -hmm. is so from like again a splat or a slapstick tradition of uh, of just never quite letting someone catch their bearings and always being like kind of one step behind and and staggered and spun around in these ways where from whence comes splat stick right <laughs> this is a term that was um invented by sam raimi he wasn't the first i mean arguably isn't the first person to make a movie that kind of has gore for entertainment and fun's sake but he absolutely put this idea on the map i think and i think that any any movie that plays with these things is oh, a huge debt to the evil dead and evil dead 2 Swallow this. <laughs> you know, there's the a couple of great just Ash going crazy scenes where it is like ninety percent of the footage is just that kind of camera on on the face Bruce Campbell reacting to things, and the things he's reacting to are fantastic within the you know the world of that editing and um, 
but it's like, oh, the clock's going backwards. Right, the lamp's laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and in fact, those are the those are among the most memorable moments of the movie. And that's another thing where um, you can just crank up the insanity and the balls out. Like, there's a moment where you just are totally forced to surrender to the to the movie. I think in both movies, but way more so in two, where you're just like, this movie is bonkers. This movie, <laughs> nothing is off limits for this movie. <laughs> Anything could happen to anybody at any point, and it just is like a fucking ride. And um, and how well earned is that in a horror movie where it doesn't get there by just upping the gore and viscera mm-hmm. aspects, but by just upping the chaos of it and never making it so silly that it's just silly, but always uh-huh. keeping it, never t- also taking itself seriously. Yeah, but yeah, never making it so silly that it's just silly. Even though from if you take just a teeny step back, it so is. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> right. That, that's it's kind of masterful that we're still on the edge of our seats for the laughing deer head and. Uh, oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. In any movie, would that, that not just be like ruin the movie to have a moment like that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, being able to do that while keeping the tone uh, is it's amazing and yeah. um you know it's yeah ash losing his mind and the deer head and the lamp and all that and it's just like suddenly turns into a carnival moment <laughs> and i think like even carnival music is playing if i'm remembering right and stuff and it's just like this it, it this movie is just bonkers <laughs> and it but it's it's somehow it's still walking that razor edge of the whole of the whole thing holding together somehow and part of that is the sound design i feel like the sound design in that movie was you know rough yeah. But fantastic. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, even in the first one, they, they do so much. Uh, they get so many cues. So much of what's cueing you, the audience, into feeling okay about what's happening on the screen is that they use these very, very slapstick and comical, like like slide whistles, sound <laughs> even. Um, or when he pulls the stick out of, out of one, yeah. right the and it makes pop. the popping cork sound and then the water uh-huh. blood sporting um, out of him but that's it's also used sparingly enough yeah that it's not like every you know that's that's not going on enough that you're really feeling that it is a cartoon it's it's you know keeping a nice cartoon edge on things but uh right because you can't go too cartoony and then compensate by upping how upsetting the gore is, because then it just goes too far in both directions. You just have... They have to serve each other. Even now, we have your darling Linda soul. She suffers in torment. You're going down. Chainsaw. Evil Dead 1 was, uh, as far as I know, Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers' first credit. And he was the assistant editor, assistant film editor, as he's credited. Um, because I think he's like a production assistant before that, but this is like, if I'm remembering right, and I apologize to the audience if I got this uh-huh. wrong, but this is his first like real hands-on on the film, and he had a really good experience with it. They went on mm-hmm. to make, what was the movie that Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers made together between Evil Dead 1 and 2? Crime Wave. Crime Wave. Yeah, which was not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which uh, was not. It was fine. <laughs> Has more Bruce Campbell, so if you can't get enough Bruce Campbell, that's that's one for you. But um, but yeah, and then you, you obviously the Coen Brothers went on to make Blood Simple, and then have the career that the Coen Brothers had. But mm-hmm. um, in addition to the editing, how much fucking fun Sam Raimi has with the camera? <laughs> oh yeah, in these movies is so like he gets away with murder with where he's putting these cameras and where he's moving the camera and how he's doing it and it would just be so in any other movie it would be so obnoxious and self-indulgent <laughs> don't you think? Oh. but it never feels that way in these movies it never feels gratuitous except that it does but it's because you want it to be gratuitous because you want everything about the movie to be gratuitous because you're so fucking on board with it um so when you have, I think both movies have the shot where it's like the camera is down the handle of the shovel as the shovel swings yeah. through the air to decapitate Ash's <laughs> girlfriend. 
or I mean, I here here's a I, I started writing. This is over the course of five minutes of Evil Dead One. I wrote down all of these shots that blew my mind, and then I just had to stop writing because I was just like, "This is." T- yeah, just- <laughs> I'm gonna fill up all every piece of paper in my house. So, a shot that starts upside down mm-hmm. and then moves 180 degrees through the air over Ash's head and lands right, right set up in his face. And it's totally thematically appropriate and it's totally adding to yeah um, absolutely a split focus shot where the foreground is in focus on one half of the screen and the far background is in focus on the other half of the screen which is you know, mm-hmm. you have to do in camera um a split focus shot where it's not where one is out of focus and one's in focus like a depth of field thing um just a complete shot just of the top of Ash's head as he look, turns around and looks around. Um, a, ser- a whole series of Dutch angles where it's all flipping mm-hmm. left and right and left and right, and it's when it stays with one and flips to the other is really key. Down the barrel of the shotgun as he swings the shotgun around, so that sh- like almost first-person shooter style swings around, and then same thing, obviously, like we just said with the shovel. The camera moving through the window and crashing the glass out of the way and the placing the camera in a way that is locked to the actor's chest but only sees his face mm-hmm. so as he moves around in that kind of Darren Aronofsky set yeah he had the he built some super fancy rig to make that look better but uh, right which he has a name for <laughs> but which is present in the Evil Dead 1 and it, <laughs> and it looks really really good and it's locked to him as he swings around and looks around and stuff I mean that's like within five minutes of the movie that all these insanely ambitious shots yeah and no, and you know nothing that's like oh they had to have a, that crazy dolly system to do that how did they make the movie go where a person couldn't <laughs> how did they make the camera go where a person couldn't be holding that camera it's just like no there was just a guy crouched there with the camera <laughs> and it's just a very good choice like, right. i mean the fucking the the evil force is you know a guy holding a camera running around waving it funny. well it's a guy it's <laughs> right it's it, it there's a lot of these shots were because of ingenious camera techniques that sam raimi invented <laughs> because he all he had was like plywood and gl- nails and glue they're all super low budget so like they're flying through the forest i think it is on what he called the shaky cam <laughs> as to contrast it with the steady cam that he could not afford <laughs> he called it the shaky cam but yeah it's like that it's like on a long piece of wood being stabilized by people holding Mm -hmm. it and running but so you get like a different effect from it but you also get it the camera to move through things that a person couldn't keep their speed Mm -hmm. up as they moved through or it can like fly low over the water because someone's holding it off the front of a boat because they're way (laughs) off the front so you don't see the ripples of the boat but also like the crashing to the window thing there's like you know a guy standing there with a board to like (laughs) knock the window in just out of frame so um he and he like like tubs of vaseline to like slick saw horses (laughs) and then set the camera on a piece of wood that goes up and down the vaseline sawhorse assembly thing i mean he is like literally physically building these things with his hands to make these shots possible and and they all serve the movie every single one i feel like serves the movie when when the camera is over ash's head and it's trait it's it's tracking him as he walks through the house and the camera happens to be above the crossboards in the ceiling and the roof thing and as each like crossbar sweeps in front of the camera as he walks underneath it and it makes a mm-hmm. sound like those are all like choices and they're all good choices. Yeah. they're all the right choice and he doesn't have to use it sparingly because he's chosen not to do anything sparingly in these movies <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it, and it's, it's like, because everything is gratuitous, nothing is. Right. thing i should have said when we were talking about ash as the hero was that um i mean you can count the number of lines he has in evil dead 2 on one hand basically 
really. Like he he says almost nothing, and when he does, it so perfectly punctuates the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that, it does. I mean, that movie does such a good job of. Cut, I mean, there's so little dialogue and so little empty, you know, empty space. Um, right. Yeah, two especially is a sprint, I think. Mm-hmm. And the way that it just keeps upping the ante and keeps starting the next adventure before you think you're even done with the first one, and just happens from minute to minute. You're in a whole new world. Yeah, that's a big, uh, yeah, a, a sense in a lot of scenes is like, of hey, we did that scene, let's get to the next one. Right. <laughs> let's get to the next part, let's get to the next part, let's, there's no lingering over what just happened, there's no, uh, yeah. giving any kind of resolution to any shot, it's always, alright, we got to the end of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, next, 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 <laughs> um, and of course, Bruce Campbell deserves all the kudos that he gets for this role because he is just so, so physical and so, <laughs> so present and so, so just willing to go to every extreme to get these, to, to pull these things off with just no self-consciousness ever. And part of the reason, I mean, what kind of cues, if you've seen the first movie and then you watch the second one, what kind of cues you in that that's the pace the movie is going to be operating at is that it sort of sort of compresses the entire first right. movie into five minutes yeah it's like this is all you need to get to here this right. is where we want to be right but it's also sort of like here's everything that happened in the first movie in five minutes and every five minutes of this movie is going to be an entire <laughs> evil dead ones worth of chaos mm-hmm. and you get you, you you kind of it makes a promise and then keeps it in that way at the same time, though, it's a. I mean, I if I put on my like, well, actually, <laughs> hat, you know, then then I I get lost a little bit in it because obviously, I mean, the second movie follows so many of the same plot beats of the as the first one that I actually had literally remembered. Okay, it's a remake, and anyone who thinks it's a sequel is just dumb and not getting <laughs> it. But then I rewatch it to record this and I'm like, wait, it's obviously like made very explicit that it's a sequel because it starts by explaining the events of the first movie and then picks up at the very second that the first movie leaves off with Ash getting hit and and possessed by the evil spirit that, you know, of the dead. So wait, it is a sequel <laughs> though, but it's also like the recap doesn't fit the first movie. It's like a sequel to a parallel universe version of the first movie. Because in the recap at the beginning of Evil Dead 2, it's just him and one girl who go up together, and they have their, you know... But it's like, but that's all you need to get you to where you need to be for the movie to start. Right. And that's all they care about. Yeah, right. And, and it, like, it, it would be so to the disservice of the movie if they tried to be better and more accurate. Right. And like, like this is the leanest version yeah, of this. Next. Just just get get there. Yeah, just, get there. Just get there and then you'll be like fucking chopping dudes up with an axe. <laughs> no one cares anymore. Right. <laughs> it's it's sort of dumb to call it to to have an argument about whether it's a sequel or a remake because it serves it's both whatever it, it wants to be at the right moment. from a, from moment it's, to moment it's whichever it wants to be he did in the first one that he wanted to do again better now that he had the budget and so he did it right and it was in both movies because who yeah because that's great <laughs> and I really like that there's a place for both movies um, not just because the first one. Well, let me back up for a second. I think that it's fair to say that if you look at Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness, you're looking at three movies that start a lot more sincere and a lot less slapstick and self-kind of like mocking, and at the other extreme of that. And Evil Dead 2 is kind of right in the middle. (laughs) It's less grisly and upsetting than one, but it's more grisly and upsetting than Army of Darkness, and it's less kind of like cockamamie, silly, like goofball shit <laughs> than Army of Darkness, but more than Evil Dead 1. So for a lot of people, it kind of hits that sweet spot. But I love how that leaves like leaves a room and a reason for one to exist, and not just because it's this incredible triumph of like a guy maxing out all his credit cards and making this insane movie that he just that how did he ever even get it into a single fucking theater? But it's also brilliant and amazing, and took so much work and ingenuity to pull off. I mean, there's that right, which is its own mm-hmm. justification. But it also serves so to some extent a different purpose than Evil Dead Two. 
like the sequence that I one of my favorite sequences of any horror movie is a scene that you mentioned before when Ash is in the basement and it's like it starts on a really really like insane beat where the the pipe of like breaks and like fire hoses blood into his face but then it cuts away to these gorgeous gorgeously lit and conceived shots of like blood starts to drip Mm -hmm. out of the outlets and somehow and i still don't know how this was achieved a lit light bulb in a ceiling socket starts to fill with blood yeah well you just drill a hole through there and Put some blood in. I thought it was a. Are the light bulbs not like vacuums? I thought you would shatter uh, a bulb by like cutting into in, it. Incandescent. Well, you don't. So, in, not through the bulb, but through the socket, through the ceramics. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, that's how they do that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's Whatever. Right? That's the point put, I'm you driving can get blood at. A light bulb. <laughs> I'll get you blood in a light bulb right now. With nail polish. <laughs> oh. oh. And. And those are like striking, ingenious moments or looking in the mirror and reaching out and it's like water, you know, that his arm goes through or that wouldn't exactly belong in Evil Dead 2 and are just so like well conceived. And yet Evil Dead 1, I think, is more Three Stooges inspired than I remembered. (laughs) I mean, by the end, it is just kind of zany. And you get that great, great smash cut at the end to the credits (laughs) with the kind of like carnival music that Uh, just kind of tips, like like, clues you in. Like if you haven't figured out by now, this has been fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a great, I mean, I would, and I, I would love to actually sit down again and watch just these two scenes together. But the, you know, the Ash going crazy in the room by himself scenes in both movies, it's, you know, in the in the second one, it's I think by far the better scene. Um, I mean, it's just it's one of those just great scenes from a movie ever. Um, but you know, going back and looking at the first one, it's like in a lot, of, it's like this is much like in terms of just traditional pacing and filmmaking. It's this is so much better paced. This actually is giving you the beats, and and I mean, and that's kind of what sort of what makes it great in the second one is it cutting out all of these beats that are definitely there for a reason um that you know the little recovery beat before our next scare or whatever um and it's you know that's that's there for a reason it's effective it's great but fuck cut them out see what happens (laughs) and it's kind of right What are we gonna do? We're gonna bury her. You can't bury Shelly. She's a she's a friend of ours. Ah, she's dead. Shelly's dead. We gotta bury her now. I think there was certainly a lot of moments in the first one that don't necessarily work, hmm. but. It it doesn't, it's not quite, you know, the vision isn't quite there. And, the, yeah. and there, there's, I think there are times where the tone doesn't quite match, where there, there kind of are two separate tones going on. And, uh, mm. and you know, there, there wasn't the budget and there was, you know. And it was a little more Uncharted Waters. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, that I, I you think don't get to have that, two without one. Right, making right. that movie was what, how they learned what movie they wanted to make yeah and so so there's definitely finding it's a lot of finding its feet and a lot of uh yeah it's it's there are moments you know watching that movie and it's like you know it's a movie i've seen 10 times in my life so this is but uh you know just like i ah, get on with it this scene's boring yeah. <laughs> do the next scene right get next please um right and so rewatching too there was i don't think there was a moment where it wasn't I wasn't being absolutely entertained in that moment um yeah yeah I mean that's that's the advantage of uh of just having a breakneck pace with no <laughs> moment to catch your breath is that you don't uh-huh. <laughs> even like 10 20 years later uh-huh. it doesn't seem like it's paced it's plotted too slow but, but that being done wrong and I feel like that is, you know the modern action movie it's like let's just have a you know car chases for 
you know, half an hour, half hour car chase where everything's exploding. It's like, it does bore the shit out of me. And I think a lot of, I mean, the exception, I'm just going to name check Mad Max, new Mad Max, you guys. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that movie has explosions and I'm not, it has explosions and I'm not bored, (laughs) but yeah, just, just nonstop action is not at all a guarantee that a movie will entertain me. Um, It stays entertaining because there's so much ingenuity on screen in front of your Mm -hmm. eyes every moment. I I, I keep coming back to this when we talk about horror movies, especially when we talk about John Carpenter, especially when we talk about Clive Barker, um, is uh, one of the things that I can take away from horror movies that really, really is important to me is that I can see on screen what's happening some sense get some sense of how it's done and get some sense of like the fingerprint of the creator on it and i and i get as a you know a a kid or a teenager i get in my mind like i could do this this is achievable (laughs) someone did this someone had the you know inspiration and time and materials and craft and team and vision to do this to make this happen it didn't just like come fully formed from the video store this is like someone crazy motherfucker yeah. <laughs> tricked people into giving him money to make this thing I'm seeing and he did it with his own like hands and that's so so important and Evil Dead 1 has so much of that there is just almost there is there there it's 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 brimming with ingenuity and I think that's what people keyed into even though it fails as a movie in a lot of ways <laughs> um it's just it it makes up for it a thousandfold in that and Evil Dead 2 is like someone watched Evil Dead 1 is like you can fucking do that <laughs> can't you except it's the guy who made Evil Dead 1 watched Evil Dead 1 and he's like you can do that can't you and then he just made you know right made Evil Dead 2 mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, people, we may have even had this conversation on the podcast before, but, you know, people talk a lot about, you know, that, the kind of that indie movie, um, that, you know, kind of moment for indie movies in the, uh, you know, in the early mid nineties where, you know, Rodriguez and Tarantino and, you know, Kevin Smith and, you know, people made movies that were like, holy, sh- that were definitely a guy making a movie. Right. And, um, you know, that kicked off a huge thing and um, people were amazed. Like, fuck, somebody somebody made a cheap movie and it is a movie. And uh, for a lot of people, this was an amazing thing. But, you know, it's been 15 years of uh, in genre stuff of that's kind of what movies were. <laughs> hmm. And all of it adds up to so much and it holds up so well. And if you haven't gone back and rewatched these movies before listening to this, I hope you do now because I... I li- okay, here's here's something stupid. Mm-hmm. I still got chills through my body when Ash puts the chainsaw <laughs> on. It still works. Like even though it's been spoofed and redone and just it's oh. it's gra- it's done to death. It's just so expertly assembled. The entire lead up to that is just so unimpunable to from they made that chainsaw character they the main you know they set up that relationship that relationship had relationship beats where the chainsaw has betrayed him the chainsaw is no longer there finally he he and the chainsaw get together it's one of the strongest romantic moments in mm-hmm. in film it's uh yeah when his stump kisses the back of the chainsaw and it's, it's, it's just our a, a never visceral insertion it's till um, death do us part <laughs> The book he puts on top of the can that's holding his hand is a farewell to arms. <laughs> and it's just like, why not? Let's just get just one more, just the fucking cherry on top of everything that's going on. Uh, yeah, we didn't even talk about the hand, one of film's greatest antagonists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the oh. hand. It's mo- most of Ash's lines of dialogue in the movie are addressing his disembodied hands. Uh, I got you now, you little fucker. <laughs> type of thing. Um, I mean, when the hand flips him off, it's like, you know, obviously you can't not do that. <laughs> but, not they, a, but in this movie, be, you can't not right. do that. But it, it, it could have been done inexpertly. Yeah. And it was not. It was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Sam Raimi. Thanks, Bruce Campbell. Thanks, Joel Cohen. Thanks, Sam Raimi's car. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.
want to watch a Wes Craven movie and then talk about it. That seems appropriate. Yeah, we'll defile his grave. Oh, well, that's the only way to make sure he doesn't come back. Yeah, that's true. We'll defile his grave by um, attempting to talk thoughtfully about one of his movies. Fantastic. Aaron, you wanted to do The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is a Wes Craven film not as well-remembered as some of his better-remembered movies, but... um, I certainly don't remember it. (laughs) Came out after uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) When did he make The Nightmare Before Christmas? (laughs) I don't know. In the 80s. In the 80s. <laughs> it, launched, it, it launched James Dean's career. <laughs> Since he was in the first Nightmare Before Christmas movie, James Dean. <laughs> I can't even see you. I'm crying. <laughs> so sad about Wes Craven. <laughs> I challenge any podcast to give a better eulogy than this. <laughs> the Serpent in the Rainbow came out shortly after A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And before most or all of the sequels, I'm not sure where it fits on that timeline. But uh, it was the one Aaron wanted to do, so we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. So suck See, it up. Watch suck it, it watch up, that audience. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> if Wes gonna... Craven's dead. Pretend it's good. <laughs> But The Serpent of the Rainbow is really, really interesting and I think really worth watching. So um, it wasn't uh, a flawless film, but few of the movies we talk about are. Um, so I could remind our audience to keep a lookout for The Spirit of the Jaguar. Oh, yes. Thank you. I like to I like to have something. It's, it's very to. subtle. You may miss. Yeah. Try and the keep spirit an of the Jaguar for the spirit of the Jaguar in this movie, because it, it, it'll, it'll pop up at some point. Maybe it's uh, it's it's symbolic. So check that movie out. Um, there'll be links at inthecut.org. And uh, we hope you join us next time. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks.